Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the All of Life podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. I am Josh Butler, one of the pastors here at Redemption Tempe, and I am really excited. We've got with us today the one, the only, uh, the Dan Kimball in here with his majestic hair and his glorious leather jacket. (laughs) We're on Zoom, so I can see him right now. I know y'all are listening and probably can't, but Dan Kimball, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Yes, I'm a... uh love being with you all the time and i'm looking back at you even though people can't see it with your majestic hair as well <laughs> and your and your wonderful artistic looking shirt that you're wearing oh thank you very much dan so uh for those of you who don't know dan kimball was here with us uh last month for our first wednesday event and he was speaking on his new book it is an amazing book called how not to read the bible uh and man dan can you hit me with the, the subtitle i don't have the book in front of me but it's got a great subtitle as well Yeah, the subtitle is Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. Wow, that is a uh, great title and subtitle, How Not to Read the Bible and Tackling All of These Tough Topics that Many People Today Are Wrestling With as It Relates to Understanding Scripture uh, Well. And uh, so, Dan, you're not saying like, how not to read the Bible. Don't read your Bible. You're, you're kind of saying, dude, as you're reading the Bible, um, how should we be reading it? Well, and man, the first Wednesday event was so powerful. So many people loved it and glorious us. We botched the audio. <laughs> Somehow the audio was not recording. So usually we would put first Wednesday on uh, line afterwards. And unfortunately we had a mistake uh, with our audio and it was unavailable and you were kind enough to come on and for us to hit some of those big ideas again. So those who were not able to, to make it to be a part could catch some of that here. And so I'm wondering, Dan, if you could, just by way of introduction, tell us, why did you write the book? What was it that you see happening in our culture today where you were going, man, I feel like there's a need for us to really engage um, a number of these tough topics and even in the bigger picture, how we should be approaching reading the Bible as a whole? Yeah, well, like you said, you uh, referred to it that this is not about not reading the Bible. Uh, it's that because there is so much incorrect reading of the Bible, there's a lot of criticism, understandably understandably being raised about the Bible as being a book that is anti-women, anti-science, pro-violence, and pro-slavery. And for the most part, it is because we're not reading it correctly. And therefore, there's a lot of criticism and, and strong judgments now made against what church and Christians believe, saying, look, the Bible is even seen as an evil book. And this is some of the language, like it was the good book, now it's the evil book, because of all of these, uh, again, I keep saying understandable, because if I was just reading some of the stuff, I'd understand why. So it was written to respond to say the Bible is not anti-women, anti-slavery, pro-violence, or pro-slavery. Uh, but you need to then read it correctly, or you might come to those conclusions. So that's kind of the, 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 why I wrote it, but, um, but I wrote it, as you know, Josh, because in our world today, the reason I wrote it is as we are both, you know, we're both in similar kind of mission churches with younger people and always listening to what's going on out there. 
And I've been in ministry now 31 years. So 31 years on church staff, always working with younger people. And I've never seen as there's always been criticisms of the music's boring or the preaching so-so or you know, the, 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 the place seems like a, a tonight's show stage or whatever criticism there might be. I've never seen the criticism coming up, not just about irrelevance, but now the criticism's coming up. I don't think I can be a Christian because the Bible teaches hate. I don't think I can be a Christian because if this Bible is the God is one of extreme violence, I can't believe in that God anymore. And when you're starting to see these type of understand or uh, uh, impressions of the Bible, that's why I wrote this, because it's happening at an alarming rate. And, and what's madness is there are responses, but people are making decisions about faith and Christianity based on these type of criticisms. So that's why I wrote this book. Yeah, you shared some pretty funny memes, I remember, of, uh, you know, the gone viral, uh, often created by atheists or those who are opposed to the faith. There was like one with like Jesus riding a dinosaur or something with a big smile. And there were some other ones of like, man, uh, quoting verses that would say, oh, if you believe in the Bible, you must believe in, you believe in unicorns because the word unicorn shows up in the King James version of some, some versions or uh, memes that were kind of showing like God being this bloodthirsty God pulling certain verses from the Old Testament, arguably out of context and all. Um, so yeah, there's definitely this sense where they're, they're kind of humorous. You can laugh at them if you're confident in your faith and all, but for many people today, that's actually their perception of the Bible. Like they have, they kind of have these impressions or see these things. And one of the things that you do really well, I love this book. I've highly recommended it as a resource to so many, and many people in our church have found it really helpful, um, is in your book, you talk about, well, how should we read the Bible and how shouldn't we? What are some healthy, helpful ways to approach the Bible on its own terms, for what it's actually seeking to say and for how it communicates? Can you give us some tips on how would you advise that we do and don't approach reading the Bible? Yeah. I mean, what, here's the good news. Like I, um, I, there are responses to all of these things and, uh, and you do see the memes. That's why it's different today is because it's so, uh, there's so much misinformation that's out there about the Bible and criticism and memes. And we're in such a culture of, quick little, you know, see little tweets or, or memes and then starting to believe that they are teaching the facts of the whole story. And, and what's missing is how do you look at the Bible? And the good news is that there's responses to all of these things. So when you see that, that's what I, that's, what's pressing in me all the time. And you too, we got to tell people that they're so in the book or just in general, and I did cover this when we were there, there's four things. If you look at a Bible, that I believe if you were to uh, be thinking this way about the Bible, that almost all of these criticisms are seen then differently. And then you can understand the scriptures more and see why most of these criticisms are not valid. And one, yeah, I'll just read them four. And if you want to look into each one more, we can, because it's what I did when I was with you. One is understanding that the Bible is the library, not a book which is a major thing to understand about the Bible, and it changes how you then read it and interpret it. The second thing is the Bible is written for us, but not to us. And we can go into any one of these as we discuss. A third thing is never read a Bible verse. And the fourth thing 
is all the Bible points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Those four things are the underlying, uh, underlying, um, what's the word? Interpretive points that then will clear up so much of the misperception. Mm-hmm. So that's great. You want to yeah. talk about one of them? Like we, yeah, just, that's, that's right. great. Why don't we dive into the Bible is written for us, not to us. I think that's a really helpful one. And I remember in the book, one of the things you talk about as an example of that, um, is, some of the old Testament laws, there's weird laws. It seems to us today about like, don't eat shrimp or, um, man, uh, I'm trying to remember you, you give some examples, but you give some examples. There's some laws that can seem really strange or foreign or, or far away to us today. Um, but that made sense in the original context. And I think your point about how the Bible is written for us, but not to us helps make sense of those. Can you talk about maybe some of those strange laws and, and what it means to see the Bible is for us, but not to us. Yes. Okay. Well, um, this is so popular. And I guess like, you know, this is, I, I've seen celebrities on television, like on, I've seen uh, major, uh, major news anchors criticize Christianity or, or, and Christians for like, oh, you're picking and choosing. You're saying one thing, but do you eat shrimp Christians? Because the Bible says, do not eat shrimp. Do not, you know, plant two types of uh, crops side by side. And, and there's a whole list of things, you know, such as, you know, um, about, I'm looking at this list, you know, eating shrimp, eating pork, blending two types of fabrics, such as polyester blend, getting a tattoo, don't get rounded haircuts. All of these things are now being slapped up on memes and, and said, Christians, look at these silly laws. Uh, why are you then, you know, why are you, why are you being hypocritical and not and eating shrimp and all of these things. And, and at a surface glance, you read those verses. There are verses that say that you can say, don't eat shrimp. That's totally true. That's in the scriptures. There's strange verses. Like I'm looking at memes right now. God hates shrimp. There's memes that say, I'm looking at some of the illustrations of don't play football because you're touching the skin of a dead pig. There are memes that will be raising criticism like, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. That's written several times. So they're like, you're crazy for believing this. This is an archaic, out-of-date book by primitive people and and, and, and all of that. So back to the the premise, never, uh, the Bible was not written written to us, but written for us. So Josh, you're, you're smart. Who was the book of, say, Leviticus written to? Uh, Israel, ancient Israel. Okay, so it was written, was so that means it was not written to me in Santa Cruz or you in Phoenix today. It was written to the ancient Israelites. What was going on with the ancient Israelites at that time? Yeah. Well, one big piece was God needed to distinguish them from some of their surrounding neighbors and some of the practices and things that, that was that those were associated with in the surrounding world, as well as maybe some of the mythologies or symbolic association that some of those things, uh, practices and things had with the people around them. Right, right. So like what you're saying is that this is it. God was then writing these specific things to an existing culture that had other cultures around them that were practicing certain things that God was saying to remain distinct and holy and not be participating in worship practices of other surrounding people groups. 
so they we don't know what those things were. So like we read these. I gave an example when I was there in Phoenix because one of them's from Arizona, and it's kind of a almost a cliche one because you hear about it uh, a lot. Was that in Arizona there is a law allegedly still in place that says it is illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. <laughs> yes, I have many times sought to put my donkey in the bathtub and go to bed, and then I remember, man, the police—I I, I could get—I could get in big trouble for this one. So I'm going to keep that donkey out of my bathtub. All right, but that—that's. Uh, I mean, I read this on an attorney website, so I think it's valid because they're—you know—they're looking no, at old laws. Yeah. You know, there's another law in Kentucky. It is illegal to carry ice cream in your back pocket. Hmm. Right now, we read those today. And they sound silly, absurd, why, you know, and we can make fun of them. So we could put a meme up and, you know, with the state of Arizona or Phoenix and say, look how, look how ridiculous you are. You believe that you shouldn't have a donkey in a bathtub. So at a surface glance, you'll say that seems, that seems uh, silly for that. But when you look into it, it wasn't written to Phoenix. It wasn't written to Phoenix citizens today. That was actually, if I have the date right, it was like 1910 or something like that. If um, I've written down somewhere what date it was, but basically what was going, I'm sorry, I found it, 1924. This was 1924. And the law came in, in Arizona was that a rancher had a donkey that was frequently sleeping in an abandoned bathtub on the rancher's property. And then what occurred was that there was a, a reservoir broke, washed, you know, kind of like a little flash flood, washed the, the donkey and the bathtub into a mud basin. They had a really difficult time trying to pull it out. And so they told the farmer, no longer can you put the donkey in the bathtub. And they actually made a law about it. So when you look into it, if you were living in 1925 or back then, and they, and you said, it's illegal for a donkey to be in a bathtub, you'd be like, oh yeah, that was Farmer Joe. You know, he shouldn't be doing that. They wouldn't have questioned it because they knew what was going on. Mm. But today it sounds crazy because it wasn't written to us today. It was written about a specific situation back then. The other law about the Kentucky with the uh, ice cream in the back pocket sounds crazy and absurd. But horse theft was taking place back then where people are putting ice cream actually in their back pocket, an ice cream cone to lure horses away wow. to steal them. Right. So it was a theft. You're a horse. You would, you would see that, that ice cream. So what are you going to be, be licking and just kind of follow them wherever they go? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So they put in a, a law to prevent horse theft. Now, we don't have that problem today. So when we're looking back into a law like that, it would made perfect sense in that particular time period and who was written to originally. So the scriptures like these laws about don't eat shrimp and and don't cook uh, donuts, mother's milk, every one of them had actual meaning in the original writing of them, but we but it wasn't written to us, it was written for us. So then we can then look back and say what was going on then. If you were to go back then and say those laws that sound crazy to us, they would say, yes, we understand why, because the surrounding people groups are actually like when they'd plant two types of crops together or wear two types of fabrics. Um, no, it was talking about prohibitions that would be indicating that you could mix 
certain faiths together, distinctions. There were like, you know, the one about the goats, I'm sorry, the goat and the mother's milk had to do with for worship, fertility rites and practices that the surrounding people groups were doing. Mm. And so God didn't just randomly make these weird rules up. It was don't cook the goat in the mother's milk, because that is actually a, a worship practice that surrounding people groups were doing for fertility reasons. Don't practice those things because that's not who this God is. They would have known what God was talking about back then. Right? So when you're looking at verses, that's why it's really important to always ask, who is it written to? Why and when? Because it wasn't all written to us. But let me ask you, Josh, this. All right, that's great. So does this mean I can, you know, the, the, it also says in those laws, don't steal. Does that mean, good, that was just written to them back then? Can I steal today? Mm. Well, first, you know, I, I find it really interesting there. If you say, you know, it's not written to us, that really helps make sense. Well, okay, this was for ancient Israel in their context. Um, and yet that it is for us, because my mind immediately goes to, um, okay, so, I can wear clothes with two different fabrics. I can cook a goat and it's mother's milk, even though I don't have goats. So I'm not going to do that. But, but like, but there is still this relevance for us in going and God is though calling us today to be a distinct people set apart. It feels like you can kind of see that it was like, you're saying, okay, it wasn't written to me. So I don't understand a one-to-one correlation doing the same thing, but it was written for us. It seems saying God cares that we would be distinct uh, people, maybe set apart from what are the practices in our day that might be, associated with things that are antithetical to the who God is and how he wants us to live. Um, or I think of uh, Paul where he talks about, you know, he quotes an Old Testament law about um, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading the grain. And yes. he uses that to say, uh, you know, take care of workers like himself who are, um, you know, doing ministry or communicating the gospel. Don't just take advantage of what you can get without taking care of them. And what's interesting is Paul sees it. Okay. It's not written to us in his own day of going like, he's not talking about oxes and muzzling. I don't have an ox. I'm not going to muzzle my oxes during it, but he does see an implication in going in God's heart to actually not take advantage of whether beasts of burden in the field or even of uh, co-laborers and people who are working amongst you in your midst. Is that, is that kind of the, the, area that it would go where okay it, it is still for us it has some relevance but it's not necessarily a one-to-one correlation yeah well you have to always look at i mean as you know again in the old testament in those specific sections um you then see what were the laws or the and, and their so the teachings that carried through in the new testament mm-hmm. so we no longer have to worry about wearing two types of fabrics because that was commanded to the people of Israel while they were dealing with the surrounding people groups, because those were all, all of these things like that were pertaining to not participating in the, uh, the worship practices of the surrounding people groups, but say something like stealing, you see that continuing as a moral and an ethical teaching in the new Testament as well. You don't read in the new Testament. Don't wear two types of fabrics or plant certain crops side by side. You don't see that in the New Testament as being relevant for the followers of Jesus and onward. But you do see uh, commands about, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, which means not stealing. You see the sexual ethics that'll continue in the New Testament. So you don't then see, you know, back in the Old Testament, if it did say, 
um, you know, God took, uh, you know, marriage seriously or divorce or, or whatever, or adultery, you see that continuing. Adultery didn't say, great, now I continue adultery in the New Testament. No, you see Jesus even raising the bar, saying uh, the Old Testament, no adultery. The New Testament, Jesus even goes to the heart, not to the action, and says, even if you look lustfully at someone, that's actually committing adultery in your heart. So, therefore, we have to pay attention to what continues in the New Testament and then what ended in the Old Testament. But that's another giant criticism of the Bible that gets so mixed up. They'll say, look, or at the Old Testament, then it's entirely not valid. So then, therefore, we can do different things in today's time period. That's why you have to then understand the Bible is a story, right? A whole storyline. And you have to look at what continues in the New Testament, because that's why... Um, Again, it, all of these have answers. I'm not sure if I made sense there, but yeah, no, totally. so much of the moral, you got to check the New Testament, what continues and what what ended. Definitely. Because would you say, it sounds like you're saying too, uh, well, and this seems to relate to your point about uh, reading the Bible as a story. What, what was your first one again? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the four things that I raised up. Yeah. Yeah, one, uh, the second one, I'm sorry, the first one was um, the Bible is a library, not yeah, a book. That's right. So it seems to relate to that concept, too, of the Bible as a library of going. And when I'm going back to the book of Leviticus, let's say, like you're talking about, I am, in a sense, traveling back in time, a couple thousand years to a different people in a different place. And uh, as I've heard it talk about, you know, being a good cross-cultural visitor of going, okay, I'm going to go to listen and try to understand the the place and the time and go, what did this mean to this original people in this original context to seek to understand? Um, and yeah, that there's, there's some cross-cultural respects <laughs> to speak to, to understand the Bible's own terms. And it sounds like you're saying like there are some laws in the old Testament that were written for the purpose of distinguishing Israel from the surrounding na- nations, but there were other laws in the old Testament that were more reflective, just God's heart, for his people at all times and places, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, things like that. And one of the best ways to know what are the ones that were actually continuous for God's people today as well as then is to see them reaffirmed in the New Testament. And yes. so, like you're saying, we do see in the New Testament reaffirmed uh, things around like don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, sexual ethics, don't no idolatry. A number of those things get not only reinforced or reaffirmed, but even deepened. Jesus raising the bar, almost taking them more seriously as not just the practice, but the motives of the heart that drive it. Right. No, I, that's why I'm, I was not a Christian growing up and I didn't start reading the Bible until I was in college and and then in my twenties. And I always find it interesting. People say the Bible's boring. Or if, if you look, if you're just trying to look at it and just maybe just read it, or it is the most unboring, most fascinating, amazing book like ever. And I say book, it really should be amazing library of books ever because I've trained myself. When I open the scriptures, I don't look at it like a single book. I am looking at it like I'm walking into this amazing library, you know, like, and over to the left, you know, are the, are the um, old ancient laws to the people of Israel set. And I'm going to dive into those, but I'm going to like, eagerly open them up and say like, what was God communicating to the people of Israel at that time? And some of them are strange things about boiling a goat in its mother's milk. And we shouldn't do that. Like how strange, 
But then I get the opportunity to run over to the other section of the New Testament letters that were written for the church. And what do we have to do today? And I'm like, oh, we can, I mean, I hope no one does it. It's okay to boil a, a goat. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of weird to say, like, it's not a sin to boil a goat in a mother's mouth. That wasn't the, that's not the, um, the New Testament. You don't see that. But then I'm like, oh, what did God, what does God want us to do in today's church, mm-hmm. in today's time? And it's so exciting then to run over to those letters. Like, mm-hmm. but then I'm looking at them different. I'm going to run to the section of the Psalms. Yeah. beautiful ancient songs and poems written to express worship and love for God. But then some of those there's, you know, there's the classic one. And I've um, let me find the exact wording, you know, where it talks about uh, smashing, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. babies on rocks. If yeah. you remember, uh, um, yeah. it's like a horrible sounding thing, but it's talking about, um, I'm trying to find the exact wording on it, but it's, you know, it, there's a, uh, a psalm that's expressing about babies dashing, I'm sorry, dashing the babies against rocks. Yeah. And it was, and it, you're reading a verse, it gets pulled out, put on memes, and it's from the Psalms. And it's like, look, your God hates babies. Someone, this is not a fictitious thing. Someone, a group of atheists, because they have who it is underneath it, rented a billboard back east somewhere and they put this verse and others up on the bullet bill, billboard with the heading, God hates babies. Wow. Because they're trying then to say, look, God's saying uh, it's delightful to, to dash babies against rocks. And they put a Bible verse up. Mm. What they're not doing is saying, where in the library was that verse written? It was written in the Psalms. So right there, there's poetry involved. There's emotional expression. What was going on when that psalm was written? It, you, you can see in this particular case, it was actually written during the time of the exile when uh, Israel was in captivity, and it was a psalmist expressing angst because that is what the Babylonians did to the people of Israel. That was a common form. It's horrible to even talk about. Yeah. Soldiers would to kill babies, just grab them and throw them down to kill them when they were taking a city capture. Uh, and then the psalmist was writing out of angst, yeah. not, it wasn't God saying that, right? Yeah. So it wasn't God saying, do this. It was writing an emotional expression of like hoping for vengeance, you know, hoping that because they probably saw many of their children killed. So one, that was not God's commands, it was a psalmist writing a poetic form of anguish about what he saw happen. Yet it certainly looks, you know, spicy, putting it on a meme and then a billboard saying, look, your God hates babies. Because whoever is doing that, they're not looking at the Bible as a library. They're not looking at the genre. They're not looking at it was that was not written to us. Um, it was written about a specific situation that we can certainly learn from. But that's the kind of thing that, again, as I'm raising up, when you examine them, you'll find out, wait a minute, there's so much more going on mm. than just looking at that verse by itself. Yeah. I remember using an illustration of uh, Scary Mary, kind of the Mary Poppins right. movie and this like trailer someone had made uh, for Mary Poppins where they had sliced out certain clips and made like a two-minute video trailer for the movie. Oh, right. But they made it look like a horror film because – 
the music was really spooky and you got like, you know, the shutters opening, closing the dark gray clouds with this woman floating down and like the kids, ah, you know, and, and like you were able to splice out these tidbits from the story. And all of those tidbits were actually in the Mary Poppins movie. But when you rearrange them and kind of cut them out of their context and put it, you watch this. And if you hadn't seen the movie, you go, oh my gosh, it's a horror movie, you know? And the reality was it was because those, verses so to speak you know those parts of those scenes had been plucked out of the story and rearranged and when you and similarly like when people pluck these verses it sounds like you're saying like pluck these bible verses out of their context out of the story they can get used to depict kind of a gnarly picture but when you put, put them we need to kind of put them back into the biblical story as a whole to to really make sense of and understand understand them yeah. Oh, and but see what all right. Part of the my alarm and urgency, and you know me, I'm not a I'm not an alarmist. I'm not like a sensationalist person that way. But what I'll say, I am I am alarmed at, and what I am concerned about, um, and why I thank God. And I'm not just saying this, Josh, because of our, our friendship or, or, or no, like your church. Even just being there, you take you're teaching the Bible there. You're a church that takes theology seriously. You're a church that wants people to dig into scripture. And so you're educating people. You're helping people at that level. And I'm just, I'm saying this as a general, a generalized statement, because I know there's many churches that do what you're doing, but there's many churches that don't. Because I've been paying attention to this, I have learned and met so many Christians that are now entering into their 20s that don't know how to read the Bible, and they don't, they haven't had that depth of understanding what the scriptures are, and they're the ones that are being caught off guard, seeing these type of things, and then having their faith undermined, and and saying, look, I didn't realize God was such a vicious killer. There's a tweet that someone wrote on, uh, I'm sorry, that someone on Twitter, a young woman, and she, she was raised in a church, in a large church, I've watched the whole video of, of her story, and she said, I never really paid attention to the Bible much, but then I started reading it in my 20s. And by the time I started reading through Genesis, I started crying because the God I was raised up with is a monster. That's what she called God. Hmm. And then she's now atheist and she's trying to convince other Christians, like, you know, if you read your Bible, you will see that God's a monster. But what she's doing, and I haven't talked to her personally, and I'd love to maybe at some point because I see her on online, she's, she's doing the scary Mary version of, of God. She's just looking at some of the, the you know, those verses pulled out in isolation, put together, and then if that's all you're seeing of the person, God would be a monster. But God is not that, but that's, but when you know the whole Bible, that's not God. Mm. God did certain things. But there was reasons for it. And right, here's here's my test, my Gary Brashears test, because that's who I heard. Gary Brashears is a professor up in Portland who Josh should know. He's the one that said this. Like, what is God's most repeated verse that he says about himself? Do you remember? Fear? Yeah. Uh, no, what uh Exodus 34, chapter 6. Ah. God it's the verse that said. Our friend John Mark wrote, I think, a book based on the name. And I, yeah, the verse where God's described revealing his glory to Moses and describes himself. Yeah. Yes. And that's the most mercy, compassion. 
Yep. The, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Right? When you, when you read the whole Bible, that's God. Mm. When you see that whole Mary, Mary Poppins, that, you know, Mary's Mary. If I was to pull out the little bits about Mary Poppins and then just look at those, I'd say she's scary Mary mm. because she don't know the story. And this is what's going on with the Bible. People are always pulling out intentionally now the, the, you know, the crazy, disturbing things, then coming to conclusions that are not accurate. Because when I, when I, and you know, when we know God, that's the God I know, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Like, oh, that's the God that we worship and we know. And, and I, and why it's so important people need to read the scriptures. So then they know this Bible, this God, so that when they do see the strange verses, they go, wait a minute, there's something behind that. That's not the God that I know. And then when you do read about it and you wrote the excellent book, you know, the skeletons book, then you'll read, oh, there's much more going on when God did use violence. And at times God did use violence, Yeah, but it was not random or anything, right? It was purpose. I mean, it it was sad and he didn't, and and I'm getting all like flustered even thinking about it because there's so much misinformation out there and people are getting fooled thinking God is something or that he isn't because they're not really reading the whole story of the scriptures. Yeah. I don't know. I found in my own life, man, you know, when I became a Christian and began reading the Bible and all that, and friends would say, oh, you believe in a God who you thought all this stuff. And there were times where I'd be, you know, I'd come across a verse or something or a passage or, whoa, what's going on there? That's kind of strange. But I found that as I've grappled with, those, rather than just dismissing them, when I've grappled with them over the years, they've only deepened my confidence and the goodness of God's character. I think, you know, sometimes they take some grappling, some wrestling, there's great resources out there. Uh, we were, you know, read the, we read the Bible within the context of the broader global and historic church. And there's a lot of great resources for how people have understood these in the past. And, and I think when you get into, into them, man, it's, it's almost like my faith in God's goodness has been deepened by looking at even the tough topics rather than avoiding them. Because when you find God's goodness there, you realize, oh man, yeah, God's good through and through even in some of the parts that can sound difficult at first glance, especially when they're kind of plucked up out of context. That's really good. Well, you had mentioned a couple of the four and um, we don't need to cover all of them, but I remember the third one too, uh, I, the, the third of your four points. I was like, oh, that could be really interesting to jump into. What, what was it again? Can you re- refresh me? Well, the first one's the Bible is a library, not a book. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. Never read a Bible verse. And then all the Bible points to Jesus. Great. So, you know, like the never read the Bible verse, some of them are uh, correlated because, you know, never read a Bible verse is considering that a, a verse is in the storyline. If you read Genesis, what, uh, chapter, well, all right, I'm blanking out right now, one or two words, God is saying, be vegetarian, basically. Mm-hmm. So I could read a Bible verse right there. And so today, are we in disobedience? Because if we are not vegetarian, it's very clear in Genesis there in the very early chapters that we are to be vegetarian. So um, I would have broken it when did I, um, so last night, whenever I had meat last, <laughs> am I violating God? No, because then you have to read chapter, I'm going off the top of my head, chapter nine, 
where God then reinstates. Now, I like I gave you um, green, you know, the, uh, I'm sorry, the basically plants for food. Now I'm giving you everything. Mm-hmm. So was there vegetarian uh, command in the beginning? Yes. But then God changed it seven or eight chapters later. So uh, never read a Bible verse on its own because you have to place it within the whole story. Uh, you know, we don't have to, or else we'd be sacrificing animals today. If we're taking Bible verses and commands about going to the temple and sacrificing an animal, uh, that is a verse. It's that we command. But then we have to look at the whole storyline and find out, well, later Jesus came and he was the sacrifice and we no longer have to sacrifice animals. Mm. So that's why you can take Bible verses and make cases for things if you're not putting them in the whole storyline. Yeah. So that's why the never read a Bible verse is so important. Well, and that sacrificing animals, that's a good example too, I think, because what we find with Christ, it's not that the Old Testament sacrifices were wrong or bad or anything, but it's that they were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So it's it's not um, saying that the Bible is contradicting itself per se, as much as you have to locate where am I in the story? Like where where am I in the... the no, a- Absolutely. Oh. And there's like, I'm kind of just like thinking of some random uh, isolated stories. There's like, you know, the uh, first Corinthians chapter thir- 13, um, 14, where it then says like women, and this is a big one. You see this on memes a lot. You'll see images of women with their mouths taped shut or women with muzzles put on like graphical, horrible images. And then right underneath it, the verse from first Corinthians 14 that says women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak. They must be in submission. If they want to ask, inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home. It is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. I'm reading actual scripture to you right there. And then people take that verse. This is on billboards. This is on so many memes. A guy made national news because he painted this verse on his truck and wow. he wrote christians read your bibles look at how horrible uh, uh you know women are to remain silent and not be able to speak in church now you read that as a bible verse it certainly looks shocking just reading that verse yeah but don't ever read a bible verse on its own there's much there's more going on here because three chapters earlier in the same letter that paul was writing to the corinthian church women are being encouraged to prophesy and pray in the church. Yes. So it could not have been like women be silent and never speak. There's something going on more, but it's certainly then, you know, and there's, there's some different thoughts about what that is, a posture of learning that women would have had. The word actually means much likely more like sitting in reverence, listening before you then speak back, because that would have been the customary ways of learning in that culture. Mm. And it couldn't have been women just be totally silent in the church and don't speak up or anything because three chapters that would are contradict what Paul just said earlier. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so don't read a Bible verse by itself, see where it fits in there. Mm. And so like, you know, but again, if I'm almost looking for reasons to cr- criticize the Christianity or if I'm at a point of like, I don't want to be known as a hateful person. So maybe the Bible's wrong. And, and I'm at that age of questioning and I'm seeing these things like, you know what? Look, I can't believe anymore. I just saw that guy's truck. It made national news or the billboard that says women be silent or horrible graphics that are put up. 
But it, again, these are easy ones to almost answer. But what's sad is then people think that's what the Bible's anti-women and because the verses like this that have explanations, don't read a Bible verse on its own. Look in its context is the point of that last one. That's great. It's so good. Well, um, maybe maybe one final question. This might be a big one. You know, you talk specifically the second half of the night on First Wednesday. Uh, you dove into one of the sections of the book. It was kind of on like Genesis 1 and 2 and creation with science. And, um, you know, there are some people who uh, kind of feel like I, I've met some people who a friend of mine was a doctor and he grew up um, as, as a Christian. He grew up in the faith. And he had this crisis as he began learning more about science and, and so on and feeling like, oh, man, I feel like I have to choose between science and faith, like, um, because they seem to be in contradiction. And, uh, and I, I think the beautiful reality is you don't have to choose, pick and choose between, <laughs> between those, right? But I think you gave some helpful hooks or guide, you know, guides or frameworks for going ways to approach and understand what's happening in uh, the early chapters of Genesis that... Um, don't make us necessarily have to, to, to make a, an, an unnecessary dichotomy between faith and science and all. Could you summarize? I almost says because I feel like this could be like a whole podcast on its own, uh, but yeah. you just had some helpful hooks, I think, that could be helpful for understanding. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and again, this is an important one, as you know, because, you know, uh, there, I, I met a young guy. Um, this has a happy ending to the story. Uh, where he he was part of our church, and then he came in and he was like, uh, and he ended up saying like, he was either agnostic or atheist because his he had a relationship with his dad and the pastor that he was part of in the church, and then he was studying, I believe it was microbiology uh, at the university, and he was starting to think that the young the Earth may not have been six thousand years old, and it, as he was taught in the church growing up, and in his case, this is not all churches. They had such a strong view, like if you don't believe that, you know, the, the earth is 6,000 years old, then, um, and that's based on the adding up the genealogies and certain things that are, um, but basically he felt he could no longer believe. He was put in that horrible tension of, I either have to believe in what I'm understanding of science that seems to go directly against what I'm seeing in scripture, and I can't, I don't have a choice. And fortunately with him, um, I was able to meet with him, and then I had a, a, as a professor from Wheaton that ended up speaking at a church that we met, because uh, I'll just say this very quickly up front. God could make the earth in six seconds, 6,000 years, 6 billion years. God could do anything what God wants. Right? So it's not the point of God can't con control and do anything miraculous or something that we don't understand. But so, so God could create the world in six, half of a second if he wanted. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the scriptures, the things that we're saying, all right, what is going on in Genesis? Remember, never uh, the Bible is not written to us, but for us. Who is the who is Genesis written to? Genesis written to the people of Israel. What was going on at the time? They're coming out of a 400-year time period of slavery in Egypt, a polytheistic culture. They were then being brought into, there was no scriptures written yet, so they were being brought into the land that God wanted to also tell them about their origins and writing the story of Abraham and others in scripture so that they knew. So the Bible was written, the Genesis was written to the people of Israel at that time period. And their questions would have been things like, uh, are we going to survive here in the desert? Are we safe here? 
Is there really only one God? Like, what about the Egyptian gods? Um, what do we have to do to please this one God? Should we worship this God like the Egyptians did or the, the local Canaanites or the other people groups? You know, um, the, so what was the story? Is the Egyptian creation story the right way? So their questions were ones probably more like that. Our questions today are things like, how old was the earth? How old was the earth? 6,000 years, 6 billion years? Was it six 24-hour days? You know, just the lack of major transitional forms and the fossil records disprove evolution. Our questions are like that, um, which are good questions, but the scriptures were not written to answer those questions. They were speaking to the people of Israel, and God was telling the wonderful story that he created everything, and there's relationship and it was totally different in the relationship between God and the people of Israel versus all of the other crazy creation stories that were there where, where people were like slaves and all of this stuff. Um, and so what I'm, what I'm, my main point is, again, you got to go back and then it opens things up to understand the, that text differently. And as you know, Josh, because this will get pretty, so you're not taking God's word as it is. You're trying to water down the Bible or you don't believe in God's validity. I've heard this. You know, I'm like, no, actually, we're trying to understand the scriptures even more, right? I don't want to just read them at face value or else I might interpret them wrong. Mm. So I want to make sure I'm going into who is it written to and why and when and mm. put in good Bible study methods. And then it starts saying like, oh my goodness, uh, there's more to it than going on. So I, I, I'm giving a... No, that's great. Yeah, you drew out that night some great things. We might not have time to go fully into, but I encourage people to check out in the book. Um, if you draw on John Walton's work in like Lost World Genesis 1 and some other places, a great scholar on this that, that you really uh, made it really accessible and, and, and helpful to understand. But things like the structure of Genesis 1, having this form and fill structure where the first three days God's forming, he's separating uh, and forming creation. And then the next three days, he's filling those uh that structure that he's just made, there's kind of a parallel counterpart to each of the days, days one and four and days two and five and days three and six, which suggests a, a particular message of what Genesis one is trying to communicate. Um, ultimately themes like God is the creator of all things. He's not like the Egyptian or Babylonian gods. Creation is formed through violence or whatever else is formed through his sovereign power and, and act and uh, themes like, um, yeah, God has provided order and structure in the world and he longs for it to be filled and with abundance and life and themes like God is um, created creation as a temple for his indwelling presence. Like the purpose of creation is to be filled with the presence of God. And there's so much there that, man, I encourage people to check out your book and, and go uh, deeper there. Um, but it is. Saying, like, I'm sorry. Like, you're talking about that. I'm like, even you giving that, like it makes me want to read my Bible more. Yeah. Because it's so like, that's what I mean. It's so it's fun. It's like um, it, you're, it becomes such a non-boring thing to be doing because you we, we don't have time. Like it, we could barely we could go into. You mentioned the key thing, God's presence, right? So like the garden imagery, and then you see that going into the tabernacle and the temple, and then Jesus tabernacled among us, and it it's such an amazing, wonderful thing, and it just makes me more excited about knowing who God is and more desire to read the scriptures and understand it. Like, you know, all of those things. So yes. that's why the script it's so, and I, I I'm telling you, I would, I would be the first to say, I don't think I can believe this anymore. Oh my goodness. I was raised and now 
I'm deconstructing everything. Look, it's all I, we should be deconstructing all the time. We, we've just been deconstructing Genesis, looking at who's it written to, why, and then to make sure we're, we're believing. That's so exciting. And it makes me want to worship and follow God all the more. I love the Bible. Like it's, it's all right. Um, I'm yeah. talking a lot now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there's that deconstructing, maybe some unhealthy, you know, things we, we, we've kind of been been given, but then going to Jesus and letting him help reconstruct and going to the Bible and letting it help reconstruct. Okay. What, what's really going on here in a, in a process that draws us closer to God and intimacy with him and closeness with his word, rather than kind of a distancing ourselves from God and a rejection of, of his word. Um, because recognize, man, there's, there's more going on here than kind of some of the cheap, caricatures and memes that are floating around in our culture will give credence to you. Uh, and Jay, Jay Kim, who's speaking there in a couple of weeks, um, uh, he spoke at Vintage this past Sunday and he talked, I'm sorry, the Sunday before, and he talked about deconstruction and he did say there's good in deconstruction, of course, but he said, we also have to look at the Bible and not, all right, he used it looking at it as a, um, the tools we need, to, he's like, instead of just smashing it with a hammer to try to deconstruct it, you know, we want to look at it with fine tools Yes, and, and therefore we construct things better. And, and, and that's what we're talking about here. And someone, depending on who you are, someone like, it's so overwhelming Do I have to be an, you know, an ancient Near East scholar to understand the scriptures. Like, no, I'm a pretty simple thinker and a pretty simple fellow in terms of those. There's so many good resources out there today so that that help us and um and it's not complicated and i will just say a challenge to any christian i do know that some of some of christians have a hard time they might have to audio learning better or they might not be you know um inclined to be like deep readers in that way and 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 so you don't have to be a scholar to understand all these things because there's such good tools the bible project videos oh my goodness like you know like there's so many good tools to help people understand the Bible more. And that's why we're in a great time period because there's so many great resources to help us in this way. Totally. And I love going back to that bedrock of, uh, man, God's care. You mentioned earlier, the most quoted verse in the Bible, God's character, where he says, yeah, Lord, good, good, compassionate, loving, full of mercy, loving kindness, slow to anger, all, all those things. And, and uh, it makes me think of, I remember hearing this story once of Karl Barth, uh, who many considered like the most influential theologian, Protestant theologian of the 20th century, um, and him being asked, hey, if you had to boil it all down, what's the most significant insight or whatever that you, you've ever had when it was the Bible and, and all? And, and he said, oh, oh, that's, or even about Christianity. And he said, oh, it's easy. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> and and I, I might come for going, man, I, I feel like whoever you are, you know, we can stake our claim and in, in that confidence, our confidence in that reality. Jesus loves me. This I know. And it's the, the whole Bible. Your fourth point, the whole Bible is a unified story. It points to Jesus. You get into that really well as well. Um, but then there are these tough, challenging parts. And if it feels like it contradicts that, then uh, man, yeah, there are loads of great resources and, and all. And that's why we're here as a church to help support uh, in that process of really growing in our understanding of God, of Christ, of scripture and his word. And Dan, you've given us such a great resource in doing that in this, this book, how not to read the Bible. I highly encourage those listening. If you, um, not if you, man, this is just a great resource, go out, pick it up, check it out. It will really help you both understand very practically 
how to navigate certain tough passages and topics that are kind of hot topics around the Bible today. Um, but it will also, even more than that, I love is that in addressing those topics, Dan, you've really helped teach us in good skills for what the Bible is and how we should approach it and read it well. So thank you for that. Yeah, because I think, you know, well, there's going to be challenges our whole life. And even ones I don't cover in the book, if we start grasping, you know, how not to and how, how to read the Bible, all of those other problem passage sounding passages that come up throughout our whole lives are then more solvable. So, you know, sol- solvable. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't even talk about slavery because that's another one that comes up. There's so many topics yes. and I can just tell anyone that's listening to this when you, that uh, the scriptures are trustworthy and true. And when you do get shocked by some of these passages or see different things, there's all God's true and faithful. There's always things that you need to look at. Don't just read things in isolation. And, um, you know, and I'm telling you, your, your heart and your mind will grow more in love with God as a result. And that's just, uh, that's just true. Good. Well, Dan, thank you so much for uh, being with us again <laughs> this way. And uh, really grateful for you, friend, and love the work you're doing. Uh, blessings on your life, your church, your ministry in Santa Cruz. Yes, and same back to you in Phoenix. And I'll be just hanging out there in two more weeks. So I, I look forward to being back, uh, hanging out there with you. Uh, yeah, your church. I'm going to. It's an honor to be your friend, Josh, and those, and I'm not just saying this, and I'm so thankful for what you do there in Phoenix and your and with your church, and just being there at the church is so exciting to see what's happening. So um, if you're if you're part of redemption there, like you're you may not know it, but you're in a great a great church, and not all the churches out there are like like yours. So I'm very appreciative for what your church is doing. Well, to our church here, Redemption Tempe, and everyone listening, we're grateful for you and looking forward to seeing you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app, or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com.